You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Good morning, Illini Life. How are y'all this morning? Good, 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 good. On the live stream, good morning or good afternoon, or whatever time of day it happens to be when you watch this. Uh, We're glad everyone is here. I am very excited uh, because we get to talk about lions today. Um, Though the physical ones aren't going to be the primary focus, we're really the Lion of Judah um, is what we're going for, but we'll get to that. Uh, Before we get started, I'm going to pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, for your word that lasts throughout time, that shapes our lives. I pray that you would change hearts to you this morning, that your word would go out and convict people's souls, that we would all put our trust in you and you alone, that you would lead us towards the path of life, that you would speak through my words this morning into the hearts of those um, who, who need your voice and your lordship in their life, Lord. Thank you for um, this building and this facility and getting us all here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So the purpose of, yeah, first slide. Second slide. Yes. Uh, back one slide. Oh. Anyway, uh, The purpose of the talk today, so last week, what I said, uh, I outlined what we were going to talk about. We we only have one thing to learn this week. One thing. So the one thing we're going to learn is our God, the living God who delivers and rescues, is our only hope. Our God, the living God who delivers and rescues, is our only hope. That's what this whole story we're going to learn about. And we're going to understand what living God means, what a God who delivers and rescues, and why God's our only hope. So living, uh, as we listen to this story, we're going to listen to how living means that God is active and participating in this story. He participates in our lives just as much today as he did in Daniel's life and in King Darius's life. We're going to learn how he delivers and rescues. It's not just a God of wishful thinking or a God of good morals or uh, required behavior, but it's a God who acts and delivers results. He saves your life. He saves Daniel's life. And finally, the only hope. We're going to learn how our God, the God of Daniel, Jesus, is our only hope for the future. There is nothing else we can trust in that will save us ultimately. So let's begin in Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. So I put up a map of uh, Babylon and the Median Empire. So if we recall last week, David gave us a uh, overview of of the final days of the Babylonian empire. King Belshazzar saw some writing on the wall and then he died. Um, And there was a lot more to it and you should listen to David's talk uh, and it was very good. But Belshazzar brought with his death the end of the Babylonian kingdom and the occupation of the Medes. So we see here that Darius, Darius the Mede, 
was put in charge of the kingdom. At the end of chapter 5, we, we know that Darius is about 62 years old. And we see that the Babylonian Empire, which was so great and conquered all that land, is now being conquered by the Median Empire, the Medes. Um, and their reign is very short. Uh, because very soon the Medes are conquered by the Persians just at the end of this chapter. So we don't know a lot about Darius beyond that. Uh, so we are introduced to the three characters of this story outside of God. So there's Darius the Mede, and then there's the 120 satraps and three high officials. So we're going to group those as a character. And then of one of those high officials, Daniel is, is another character. At this point, Daniel is no longer young. He was taken by Nebuchadnezzar at the beginning of Nebuchadnezzar's 42-year reign. And then he lived through two more kings after Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. And now he's serving under Darius and will finally serve under Cyrus. He is about 80 years old at this point, 70 or 80 years old. So this is not a young fellow. Uh, he is senior to Darius, so he's older than the king. So he would be his ruling senior. Like he's been in this kingdom for a long time and he's older than the king. He's probably older than most of the other satraps and high officials. Yet he's still very effective in what he does. And finally, we have the high officials and satraps. The way that the king Darius would govern is over each little chunk of land, um, there would be a ruler known as a satrap who would administer, collect the taxes and tithes and pay that up to the kingdom uh, on his behalf. And you can imagine that these people aren't always morally upstanding. And so to make sure that the king got his due, he would set over them high officials to make, to, it says, so that they should give account, the satrap should give account and so that the king might suffer no loss. That's the introduction here. So as we proceed with this story, I want you to watch for a few things. Of the three characters, King Darius, Daniel, and then the high officials and satraps, two of those characters, it's Darius and Daniel, two of those characters put their trust in God and are delivered. One of those characters, the high officials, they are very much not delivered. And so uh, that's one of the differences in who they put their trust in. And there's different ways uh, how Daniel puts his trust in God as Darius puts his trust in God, and we'll explore that as well. In an another thing to watch and keep in mind, and maybe you can count, is how many different stories and purposes God has that he's working all at the same time. And, and this, this is, again, to support our one point that we're learning today is our God, the living God who delivers and saves, is our only hope. So the living God, he's intimately aware of creation. He knows everything that's going on. And throughout this story, he's working in individual lives. He's working in nations. He's working in uh, time and history. And so we'll see that as the same actions God unfolds to his glory in ways that we couldn't um, um, anticipate. So next verse. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not find they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was in him. 
There's a proverb that says, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So Daniel was a faithful man. There was no fault they could find in him. So I want to point out why why are they against Daniel if he has no fault? Do you have any ideas? It was, it was, I think it was one of your discussion questions, so you can also just say what you said in discussion. They wanted to take the money. Any other possible motives? He wouldn't take a bribe, right? Oh, they felt ashamed and guilty. That's a very possible motivation. And they could be envious. So these are all possible motivations. Um, But I believe uh, one of the more profound ones is they were convicted and they wouldn't take a bribe and they were corrupt. So the king was in danger from these individuals. Um, If nothing else, they were willing to overthrow someone who was doing a good job. So next verse. These men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So I singled out this verse because it's very instructive for us. Um, Some of you may have been in a position where you were put at odds only because of your faith, only because you believed in God. Someone set up intentionally the rules against you so that you either had to disobey God or be disqualified from a position. I suppose this would often happen in uh, the context of a fraternity or sorority in hazing, um, other social structures where you're vying for inclusion. Uh, It can also happen in countries, uh, fortunately not here as much, uh, but where you have to choose between obeying the law of God and obeying the law of the land. And these men, and, and, and Daniel's faultless is, is, is like, well, what are you going to do? You got me. And the same is true for us. When someone sets up a law against what we believe and how we act out that belief, well, we're stuck. We're going to be breaking that law. Um, and, and with shrewdness, that can be done. Um, uh, but, at the, at the, you know, Jesus was convicted because he broke the law of proclaiming that he was God. Yet if he did not proclaim himself to be God, he would have been lying and at worst conviction. And so the laws were set up against him. The laws are set up against us. The other thing to observe about this is even these wicked men recognized that God was working in Daniel's life. So his testimony was of his faithfulness was known by everyone, both the good and the wicked. And that's important because a lot of times things that get in our lives are our lack of faithfulness or are not doing a good job. And there's nothing about getting convicted or punished for that that is very important. Like, that's well, we got what was coming to us. But in this case, Daniel was getting attacked only because of his faithfulness and his uprightness and his faith. And that, even though he will be attacked, uh, is a mighty testimony that he can apply because for no other reason would people, they would know that he is a faithful man and he's not doing this except for that he's faithful because everything's against him. And so we'll, we'll understand and we can take, we can look at this story when we experience difficult times only because of our faith, 
we know that God can use that powerfully as a testimony in other people's lives. All right, next verse. So then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are all agreed, except for Daniel, that the king, I mean, we actually don't know that they're all agreed, right? They're just, they're, they're, they're making this sound a lot bigger than it is. But they're all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that what, whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius, sign the document and injunction. Like, well, okay, so one, like, I do, it's, there's, there's a lot that's missing from the passage here. Like, we don't know how Darius was taking this. this we don't know uh, how long this appeal took. Was it they just burst into the room? Was was Darius, um, like, how was Darius taking it? I, I think uh, the more I read about it, it's, it's probably not a good way to think that Darius was just fooled by this outright. Um, because at 62 years of age, he's seen a lot of things. And to take the kingdom, oh, we don't have the map up, that's all. You don't have to put it up. Um, oh, wow, Maddie's great. So, so he's in charge of all of this. He took Babylon um, it's possible he was sieging Babylon before they moved in and captured it from Belshazzar. And so he knows how to carry himself in court. He's had many years of plots against him and that he's carried out. Uh, I would not read this as Darius is a fool. Um, maybe his hands are tied. Maybe he can't go against these people. Maybe he thinks that if they, he signs this uh, agreement that plots cannot be made against him because then he could rule out the satraps that talk to each other. Maybe he knows that these satraps are causing him harm. Well, I mean, he does because he's going to put Daniel in charge of them all. So for whatever reason, uh, Darius uh, signs the document and petition and injunction. And that document, another reason he could sign it is he says, it says that the only petition can be made to Darius and not to any other god or man. So he's He's at or above the level of gods. And that probably feels pretty good from his perspective. Um, so I, 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 I do think it's at least my reading about, and maybe this was more common back then, but like who has a, a den of lions? Like, doesn't this seem like a Bond villain? Like, okay, let's, let's, what's, what's, the, what's the craziest thing we get? We could throw him into the lion's den. Like, what, we have a lion's den? It's like, so one, one s- suspicion, that these lions were, were captured and stored for sport hunting is one of the possible reasons why they had a den of lions. Um, there's other times in history where lions have been used like gladiators. Um, uh, and, but it still amuses me how severe, like we're not just going to kill this person. Like I assume they have other ways to kill him, but we're going to toss him in this den of lions. Uh, the translation could also be pit of lions. So next, next verse, 10. So Daniel, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So this is, uh, we don't 
really know what Babylonian houses look like. Uh, as one of the three rulers of the kingdom, this seems a bit uh, meager for what Daniel's house would be like. But it sort of gives you an idea that, um, and this is also a small clay rendition, so it's clearly not to size. At least, this is the, the, the Babylonian school for ants. Um, and so he, he, but there's an upper room and there's windows towards Jerusalem. Daniel is in exile. So Daniel is in exile several ways. So first off, he has been carried away from his land, the, the land of Judah and Israel. He has been living in Babylon his entire adult life. He recognizes that he is not a Babylonian and he has never assimilated their culture. So for 70 years almost at this point, he has been praying to God. He has been following by himself, the worshiping God. And he gets, he uh, talks about him receiving uh, prophecies from, from Jeremiah. So he has some connection with Israel. He's able to read the scriptures, but he is by himself in exile among all of these people who are against him. More than that, he's a eunuch. He cannot have children. He he is in service to the king. So even if he were to return to Israel and the temple was restored, he would not be able to participate in the temple worship there because he is not, um, he is not whole. He is a eunuch. So uh, this is uh, an amazing predicament to be in because even though Daniel is exiled both from the present circumstance for his whole life and from his people, he is serving God faithfully and diligently over decades and decades and decades. It, it strikes me very similarly. Moses served God. He was exiled from his people several times and walked uh, alone and continued to serve. And so this, this attitude that Daniel has is commendable. So why is he praying towards Jerusalem? Uh, when Solomon dedicated the temple after he constructed it, Solomon wrote, had a dedication speech. And in 1 Kings 8, 48, amongst other things, this is in the middle of his speech, he says, Yet if they turn their heart away in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you, Toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name. So Solomon, in his dedication of the temple, establishes a prayer towards Jerusalem as a way to be made right with God. And Daniel is obeying the scriptures as he has read. The other significant uh, um, few words here is as he had done previously. Uh, I don't want to uh, overstate. So Daniel is not really an active participant in this story. Uh, I mean, he is a participant, but he's not guiding this story almost at all. He is doing what he's been doing for decades and decades and decades. There's not some special circumstance that he rises to the occasion. He is being faithful and prayerful as he has learned over the course of his life. And so in the same way, as we encounter our faith, uh, there's not some preparation that we go through. And then there's this one incident that we just really have to ride, ride it out and we know when that's happening. No, we diligently follow God and grow in character 
And all of a sudden, God will use us for a purpose that shapes the course of history. And we may or may not even know what that purpose is. Daniel did because he wrote it down and, and he had well, good awareness of it, but we are not guaranteed to have that. And, and what was important is Daniel didn't do anything different. He kept doing what he always had done. What do you think he was praying for in this time? Any ideas? Perseverance. What's that, Nick? Return from exile. Anything else? Any other ideas? I don't have an answer. I'm just... It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't tell us. Um, but but he's, he's making petitions, and, and it's not just uh, casual prayer. These are, these are petitions as if you would make of a king. So it doesn't tell us exactly what he's praying for, but I want us to understand that potentially at this point, what he's asking for is not what God delivers through the rest of the story in the way he expects. Um, I don't believe he was praying for um, deliverance from the lion's head. So, so let's fast, like back up a couple of years, and there was this invasion of the Medes, and he was top dog in the kingdom because Bel- Belshazzar said, hey, here's this po- purple robe. You're number one. Daniel's like, uh-oh. Like as the Medes are walking in, here's number one. God carried him through that. So we don't really know how a ruler in the old Babylonian kingdom, Daniel, made the transition as into the ruler in the uh, Median kingdom. But God preserved him through this. So Daniel could be expecting God to carry him forward in the same way. The injunction could be canceled. People could be lost. It could just be avoided. We, we don't know what Daniel's... Daniel might not know he's going to the lions. He probably doesn't. Um, and so what unfolds may not be according to what Daniel had hoped or thought would happen. And sometimes us too, when we pray for something to happen, it doesn't unfold according to our plan. And what, what we can learn as we see Daniel is his hope in God and trust in God through the developing circumstances is not, does not take away, does, is not changed because the specific outcome isn't what he expected. And, and that's, that's a, not directly carried forward in scripture, but I want just to like, we can put ourselves in Daniel's mind. Um, so next. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near to the king and said before the king concerning the injunction, so they'd gone from his house back to wherever the king was, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall cast into the den of lions? At this point, you have to imagine Darius is like, "Uh uh-oh. Like, I knew there was a catch to this, this proposal. Like, you know, the king answered and said, he doesn't directly answer them either. He kind of, he doesn't say yes. He says, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. He's like, so you guys can't revolt against me? Or like, he's trying to hedge his, like, he doesn't really know what's coming. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petitions three times a day. Well, clearly this is not true. Daniel is the most faithful of his servants. He's the only one who pays attention to the king. 
So, I mean, this is like back to the garden of Genesis when the, the serpent says, has the Lord really commanded you? Like he, these people are twisting the truth. So Daniel cannot obey the petition. That's correct. Like he is going to ask his God just like he always has. And so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, the king is now very concerned because the rules that were set up, well, let's, let's read to the next verse. We'll see where the king is very concerned. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. The king realizes that if Daniel dies, the king is lost. All of these men want corruption from the king. The, the line of succession for the throne in these, these, it's amazing that Darius is 62 years old because people don't live that long when a kingdom is at stake in a corrupt uh, empire. Like Alexander the Great was 33 when he died. Um, conquered everything. People are murdered. There is succession. And so Darius knows, like, I don't think he's distressed because he cares too much about Daniel. I, I really, I mean, maybe, but I think it would be a much more straightforward understanding that, like, uh-oh, like, they've caught me. The person who I was planning to promote because he's the one who... I suffer no loss under, he is now going to be booted out. So he was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. I, I, I was reading this. I was wondering what he was laboring doing. Uh, I mean, he's, he's a king. He can do a lot of stuff. So something was happening. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So this sounds like a very legalistic society, not unlike our current um, litigation-based society. So there's lots of catches and corner cases. So maybe the king was examining old documents that explained ways that they could get around this. Or, uh, um, and it's not clear from the injunction or ordinance that there was any time for enforcement. So why does it have to be tonight? Why can't it be three years from now? Like, so either there was more to the proclamation that's not recorded here, or there were other conventions at play, or the uh, people who came to convict Daniel brought quite a show of force along with them, and they were going to rise up if the king was not going to carry out his ordinance. So, yep, nothing can be changed. Uh, which is also ironic because the king who's supposed to be a god can't change a rule that these men made him sign. I mean, does anyone find irony in that? I do. So the next is 16. Um, then, the, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. So this is what Daniel was cast into. Um, lions can be up to... So there's African lions and Asiatic lions. I'm not sure which was there at the time of Daniel, uh, 2,500 years ago. Um, but we see they're big and, and they're heavy. It's like, it's like Al and David Bostwick coming at you all at once. And that's just one of them, right? Like they're, they're, they're a force to be reckoned with and they have really sharp teeth. And so Daniel is an old man, and they cast him into this den. There's not one lion, there's lions. And from, from what we extrapolate later, later, there were a lot of lions because there were a lot of people cast in that were all eaten. And so, I mean, lions are big, but I, I don't think they can eat, you know, 
a couple dozen people by themselves. Like, so, so this is the, like, I want us to understand that this is what Daniel gets tossed into. So, so at this point, Daniel has been petitioning God for deliverance, for perseverance, for faith, and he is tossed into the lions. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have the courage to think that my prayers were still being answered. Uh, I, w- I, would, I would definitely be questioning, like, what's going on? And we don't, we, don't have any, we don't have any insight as to what Daniel said or if he tried to defend himself. That's just not part of the story. And that's important because this story isn't about Daniel doing anything different. This story is about Daniel doing what he always does and trusting in God. So then, so the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declares to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. So here's a pretty important shift. The king of the Median Empire of Babylon is praying, is required to depend on God for the salvation of him, his own self and for Daniel. So these events have caused the king, just like in Nebuchadnezzar was brought to God uh, through another set of events, that God brought the Median king Darius to trust in him, to put his faith in God because there was no other hope. And so let's go back to what our whole point of this morning is. Our God, the living God who delivers and rescues, is our only hope. Our God, the living God who delivers and rescues, is our only hope. And so this king was brought around to the understanding that his only hope was God delivering Daniel. All right, back to verse 16. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. That also wasn't in the proclamation. So perhaps that came from the king's work to try to deliver Daniel. Um, Or it's another customer convention. There was nothing about signet rings in the original proclamation. Um, Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. So this like he is really worried and stressed out. And again, we see a king whose earthly uh, riches and dominance and majesty can't even help him get a good night's rest. Uh, and, and you see this even among everyone today, like from the poorest of us to the richest of us to the least famous to the most famous, anxiety and stress comes from, our, from, not, from everywhere. And none of us are protected from our sleep fleeing from them and the anxiety. How do you think Daniel felt though? Like, what do you think? Like, how, how is he resting? Well, it's, we'll find out really quick. Okay, 19. Uh, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came nearer to where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. And I, I don't know why he cries out a tone of anguish. Maybe he expected something to look different or maybe he expected Daniel to already be out. I, but he's, he's anguished for some reason. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? So after this night of fasting and this night of worry, it's summed up in this statement, has God delivered him? Next verse. Then Daniel said to the king. Okay, so when the king hears that, all of his hope is confirmed. 
the God has delivered Daniel in impossible circumstances. There's no way he could be alive. He is not physically able to defend himself even a little bit from these lions, much less from a horde of lions. And so you can just picture the relief that comes over King Darius when he hears Daniel speaking. Um, then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God, you know, if I was tossed into a pit of lions, I don't think the first thing I would say, dear king, like full honor. So Daniel, again, he's not, he's doing what he's always done. He is like giving honor where honor is due. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. So we don't, also we don't understand why this, uh, this action nullifies the legal precedent of throwing him into the den of lions because they're like, why didn't he take him out right away? He spent the night. But presumably this would indicate that there is a real God that's acting and would be widely understood. Like this is a sign and wonder as the, the proclamation at the end confirms. And so on these grounds, and, and, and Daniel wasn't even scratched. So he was tossed down in the lion's pit. He didn't get hurt even through the fall, if it was a fall. Uh, and Daniel's pretty chipper. Like, and, and the reason for that we'll get to later, but I mean, he's alive. That's good. I'm, I'm sure he's excited to be out of there. It probably doesn't smell very good in there. Um, and and these lions are sleeping and growling. And I would imagine that he's still, like, it wouldn't be a pleasant, like, okay, angels, keep, keep staying here. Like, when's it gonna? Um, so the king, so then uh, 24, and the king commanded, and those men who had mirac- maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Yikes. So I, I will state that this was the action of a median king and not a prescriptive action of the God of the Bible. So there was nothing about God uh, commanding that these people be tossed down, especially their wives and their children. It was cultural convention that the uh, people who proclaimed a judgment would suffer it. We saw that again in um, Esther where... Uh, uh, Haman suffered the gallows that he had built for Mordecai. And, and so this was, the, this was the way things rolled. If you proclaimed a judgment, but you were found guilty, then you experienced the judgment. And I'm sure you've all heard kids' stories that have the same moral that are probably from this time in history that have just worked their way forward into different ways. So all of these people were dead. So at the beginning, we talked about there were two of the characters, Darius and Daniel, who put their trust in God and they were delivered. And then the third character, the high lords, they didn't put their trust in God. They actively sought to go against God. They put their trust in laws. They put their trust in themselves and in their cleverness. And they were not delivered. The lions devoured them. And this is also how we know that there, weren't mo- there was more than one lion. Uh, there was a lot of people that got tossed down there and they were all ripped apart. So what happens after that? Then King Darius wrote to all the people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. 
For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall have shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So God is working all things to his glory. He took this terrible situation and redeemed it to issue a proclamation from the king of Babylon and and media to the whole world that God is God. Daniel probably wasn't expecting that. Um, So Daniel... I mean, maybe he was. I guess he's seen that before with Nebuchadnezzar. But this very trying time for Daniel was used purposely for God, by God, to further his kingdom. Beyond that, Daniel uh, was saved and put in a a position of of strength and power for the next ruler. Um, And so so where I got part of our point for today is from this passage, our God, the living God who delivers and rescues is our only hope. So have you guys seen God working in many ways throughout the story so far? Yes. Okay, good. Some head nods. And, and we've seen that he delivers and rescues. So he delivered Darius. He delivered Daniel. Um, he's delivering his exiles um, from, from Israel because this whole thing is to preserve the exiles as well. So the final verse is, so this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, who's Cyrus the Persian? So Darius uh, didn't reign for very long. And so you see the Median Empire, the map from earlier was just that little part. So now we have the Persian Empire under Cyrus the Great. And, and he's, he's, a, he's a big, he's not a big guy, I guess. I don't know. I don't really know how tall he is. But he's important and he's powerful. Uh, Notably, though, uh, so this is in 540 BC, where the Persian Empire takes over the Babylonian Empire. And the archaeology around the Median Empire taking over during the interim is, is, there's just not much of it that's been dug up yet. And so there's an incomplete history. And, and, And so, and it wasn't a very long reign. So, but... This has been written about before. So in the book of Isaiah, I love this prophecy. Isaiah 45, thus, the Lord, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates might not be closed. I will give you the treasuries of darkness and the hordes and the secret places that you may know it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who called you by name. So Isaiah wrote this 160 years before Cyrus took Babylon and Media. And so God is audacious enough to call him by name in the scriptures. And this was read to Cyrus because they had these scriptures in Babylon. And likely the reason why Cyrus sent Israelites back to, to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Because why would you have your captives rebuild a stronghold? Well, if the God of the Bible, if, you, if you're like the king of everything and, and, and someone pulls out a book and says, hey, God wrote you this letter and it says Cyrus and, and the, your parents wouldn't have had this letter because it was in Judah and they wouldn't have known you because it was 150 or 160 years before you are now. So you're not 160 years old. And so I just, the prophecy of God working across history is very um, impressive to me. So let's make this story a little more relevant, connect it forward a bit. So in the tomb of 
so, so the Daniel was tossed into the lions. Um, and then we also see that paralleled when Jesus was in the tomb. So if you want to bring up the first part of that. So the pit of lions and the tomb, tomb of Joseph. So it's Joseph's tomb. So I'll, I'll, read, I'll read that to you. Um, it's, it's because Joseph gave Jesus his own tomb. So it's not Joseph that's actually in the tomb. They put Jesus. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in his own tomb. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. So just like Daniel, who had the stone rolled in front of the lion's den, Jesus had the stone rolled in front of the tomb. So then we we see there's other parallels to that. So in the pit of lions, many people were destroyed. Well, before we get to that, let let me go on. There's even like in the story itself... The resurrection. So now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the others went to see the tomb, just like King Darius came at the break of day to look at the tomb. And both expected Jesus, like, so Mary and Magdalene, they were anguished that the, to- the stone was rolled away. And Darius cried out in anguish that he thought that Daniel had been destroyed. But their mourning was turned to joy. And so we also find in, in John, so, so many people were destroyed in that same tomb. In John, John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in the same way that not everyone passes through the pit of lions, only those who put their hope in Jesus will find their way through. And then finally, Daniel experience so he was delivered so we don't have to have concern he trusted in god and god delivered him jesus put his faith in god and knew that he would be delivered and that death would be conquered and then also he was given purpose daniel was given purpose and that story went out to the world it's recorded in the bible for 2500 years and his life was given purpose he continued to be excel in the kingdom and jesus after his passing through the tomb and death his church has flourished and gone to the whole world. So there's another thing. Let's, let's take this even a little bit more personally. We will all die. Each one of you will be thrown in a pit. There is nothing you can do to stop death from coming. You have no hope in any of your earthly pursuits of avoiding that. Just as Daniel could do nothing to stay out of the lion's den and Jesus had to go into the tomb. The only thing we can do is realize that putting our trust in God, in Jesus and his words will carry us through that death and we will be raised in glory. Because there is no hope apart from God. And our God has demonstrated he is not a set of morals. He is not a good idea or a happy feeling. He is a God of action. He works in our lives. He is living. He has the power to deliver and save, and he will deliver and save you from death before the grave 
as well as after the grave. When we put our trust in Jesus, we move from death to life. He rebirths our hearts. And I want you all to think about that because at some point, Lord willing, may it be a long time from now, you will encounter this personally. And when that happens, I pray that like Daniel and like Jesus, your hearts have full trust in God. And that with that trust and assurance, you will walk through the tomb, the pit, and be raised afterward. Daniel's name means God is my judge. So to, to bring this whole story home, Daniel's name means God is my judge. Daniel was judged by God. We also will all be judged by God. And Daniel walked after that judgment. That's one of the reasons he was so exuberant coming out of the tomb. Because as far as we know, this is the first time he had been through this sort of experience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, way back in the beginning, chapter 2, where we started, were tossed into the fiery furnace and lived. And I'm sure Daniel was some, in some ways like, oh man, like I didn't, maybe God didn't want me to go in because he didn't believe in me. Like, I'm sure he was envious of that experience. I'm sure he, at the time he was glad that he didn't get tossed in. But, um, but so you see that God's working to redeem Daniel's own heart and give him confidence of God's working in his life because Daniel walks out of that tomb, know he's been judged by God and found faithful. And so we have that same assurance from us as, as we confess with our mouths um, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, we will walk with him. And so as Daniel has confidence that he was judged by God, we know that Jesus was judged by God on our behalf as we put our trust in him. Um, could I have the band come up and I'll close this in prayer?